Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with co-host, Devin Dito. We are continuing our HBCU Awareness Series for recognition of March's HBCU Awareness Month. Today's episode features Clapham University and President Dr. Dwan J. Warmack. So sit back and listen well as we talk to you about the state of HBCUs. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background about Dr. Warmack, uh, he serves now as the ninth president of Claflin University. He has more than 20 years of progressive administrative experience in higher education at six distinct higher education institutions. Um, and so Dr. Warmack is dedicated to developing programs that promote uh, diversity, pluralism, and, and cultural competency. And, and just to continue with his impressive background, Dr. Warmack was named uh, the Delta State University Black Alumnus of the Year and was actually inducted into the institution's Hall of Fame. And so um, he has other awards and recognition for his work um, in education and, and, and the community, uh, but not limited to the, the Ricky Smiley Foundation. Uh, he's, he's been awarded the Trailblazer Award, uh, the Who's Who in Color, uh, Most Intriguing People, and the top the, the 10 Most Dominant HBCU Leaders of 2018. So impressive it is. And Dr. Wormack has earned a bachelor's degree in education, and has a master's degree in sociology uh, from Delta State University. He also went on to earn his doctorate uh, in educational leadership with a specialization in higher education from Union University in Jackson, Tennessee. And then he went on to complete his postdoctoral training at Howard University and so uh, Harvard University, excuse me. So, uh, Dr. Warmack, we are thrilled and excited to have you on the show to talk to us about your university. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you guys having me. Definitely. And so our first question, we kind of start kind of broad. You know, we, we, we want to talk about kind of the history and the value um, of HBCUs. And so when we talk about that history and that value, the best examples, you know, of the types of talented people that are coming out of, of HBCUs is, is folks like yourself. And we've talked to, you know, presidents at FAMU and Grambling who are, you know, products of HBCUs. And so we know that these institutions you know, produce talented people who go on to be leaders in our community. And so um, our first question, you know, for our audience, just, you know, kind of tell us what your higher education, your higher education journey was like, and and what was your perception of HBCUs and kind of, you know, what was your family and your friends perception of, you know, were they pushing you towards an HBCU? Kind of walk us through your journey to get to where you are now. Right. Well, thanks again for having me on. A couple of things. I am not an HBCU graduate, right? And so unfortunately for me, I, I went to school in Mississippi at a, one, of the, one of the top regional institutions in the state of Mississippi called Delta State University. And um, very diverse institution, but definitely wasn't an HBCU. And so, but I you know, was very fortunate to have very strong connections through fraternal relationships at multiple HBCUs and, um, and always had a passion and a commitment to the mission of HBCUs. So I started my career off the first um, maybe 10 years of my career probably longer than that, uh, first 11 years of my career, I've served at, um, you know, predominantly white institutions which defined as PWIs, as an acronym. And after that, I went on to serve the past 12 year academic years at HBCUs. And so I've worked at three distinctly different HBCUs, two private and one public. And so I've had the great fortune of serving there. Um, HBCUs are special, remain special. If you think about the context of why HBCUs are so important today and how why they always been, you know, currently HBCUs make up about 3% of the colleges, universities in the United States of America. They enroll about 12% of African-American students as a whole. 
But um, uh, nevertheless, they produce 23% of the African-American graduates out in the United States of America and confer 40% of all STEM degrees um, to African-Americans, not to mention 60% of all engineer degrees are earned um, by African-Americans that attend HBCUs. So you just think about the, you know, the impact and the power of them and what they've been able to do um, and be sustained for a very long time. HBCUs built the middle class, African-Americans. And so just thinking about the access and opportunity of individuals that's come through those um, amazing institutions, like I said, make up less than 3% of the uh, um, universities and colleges in the United States, but produce 23% of the graduates. So if I'm in any business, I would want that type of ROI, right? You know, if I'm going to invest in something that get that type of return, that's pretty significant. So, I think you're absolutely right. Um, as we've talked to all of our leaders, that's that's the message we hear is that HBCUs are, are putting out that level of talent. You know, regardless of what the message you may be, you're able to do that. And and, and to look at the the history of Claflin, you know, we can see that your your leaders had a vision to build an institution that would be accepted for everybody. Everybody could go there and be educated. It wasn't, you know, from looking at the founding principles, they were really focused on being inclusive towards everybody. And they were wanting to instill a, a vision in their students that would carry them towards greater things. Because looking at the website, you're talking about preparing students to be visionaries and global leaders, which is really important. So our question to you, Dr. Ormack, um, how do you get your students Students and faculty to be those visionaries, and what value does that add to our community in terms of building prosperity and sustainability? Great question. And Claflin, as you stated, you know, for 151 years before the word diversity and inclusion had ever become cool or catchword, um, that was the founding principles mm-hmm. of this institution. We were fine. You were allowed to come to this institution regardless of race, class, gender. And, and so if you think about that in uh, 1869, right, you know, where before women's rights, civil rights, all of these other rights, institution had the foresight to welcome individuals no matter what the background, just speaks volumes. So we are, uh, I am fortunate to be serving at an institution that had that foresight over 151 years ago. And I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. In 151 years, I'm only the ninth president. So if you think about sustained leadership and individuals that are committed to the long-term mission of the institution, and so when you talk about becoming visionary global leaders, it starts with hiring and recruiting to mission. We don't waver from our institutional mission. So we recruit students that believe in our mission. We recruit faculty and staff that believe in our mission. Without that, the institution won't be able to be successful. And so when you hire to mission and talk about our strategic focus, our strategic goals, about preparing students, not just in recruitment, through matriculation, graduation, gainful employment. And we believe in developing a whole student. That's academically, personally, socially, and for Claflin, spiritually. And so they have that opportunity to get that holistic development at this institution and nurture to go on to do transformational work. And so when we when we say the world needs visionaries, and it's our responsibility to produce those, and that's what we continue to do at Claflin University. We have outstanding faculty who are committed to ensuring that our young scholars are going on to do what they need to do. Our faculty can work anywhere. 89% of our faculty have PhDs in their own discipline. And so they come get to, our faculty degrees are from some of the top Ivy League and four-year institutions in the nation. But they cho- chose to work at an institution that provides access and opportunity to first-generation college students in rural South Carolina that prepare them to go out to be visionaries across the world, across the globe. 
Wow. And, and, and hearing you talk about it, it's impressive, you know, to hear that type of, um, you know, dedication to the vision and, and the existence and sustainability of what Claflin is doing and what they're producing as far as talent, but also to hear you, you take your mission an extra step. And when you recruit people, when you're recruiting students and you're hiring professors, you're making sure that they fit your vision and your mission. And so that's definitely the dedication that you get when you go to an HBCU and the focus is, you know, on the entire student, not just, you know, get you in here, in here for four years and get you out of here. Right. It's more right. so ensuring that you, you know, you, you are able to leave the school, but also produce and have a good career. And that's something we've heard from, our, you know, a couple of other presidents that we're focused on the long term. You are pre- preparing yourself for a career here at the university, not just to get a degree and, and you know, a piece of paper. <laughs> and so uh, we just wanted to make sure we point that out. And so that's going to do it for our first segment. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to kind of talk about some of the biases and the perceptions of perceptions of the education you get at an HBCU. And so we're going to talk about that after the break. So stick with us. We absolutely appreciate your support. You are the foundation and our efforts work to better your communities. Tell your family and friends so we can all work to bring progress. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back. So we are continuing our conversation with uh, Dr. Dwan Warmack, who is the president of Claflin University in South Carolina. And so, uh, Dr. Warmack, we talked a little bit about, you know, the history and the value of HBCUs and what you all are trying to do down there with your, your mission and your vision. And so, um, but... Claflin is one of the smaller HBCUs and it's also private, but that doesn't stop you all from achieving some very, you know, high marks and and rankings when it comes to being ranked amongst the top 10 HBCUs in the country. And this has been year after year. And so Claflin has been able to sustain that over a period of time. And so we just wanted to ask you, we know, you know, being a private institution, you know, it it can be difficult. You're a little bit smaller, but you've been able to achieve some great things. And so just kind of give us some insight into what you're doing, um, down at Claflin that has been able to make you so successful? Um, and also, how does your, your five points of leadership help in accomplishing those marks? Thank you. Um, great question. Again, I think it's, when I think about Claflin University and uh, its mission, I think that the mission of the difference between state and private schools, there's a ton of private schools in this country that are small, right? But it's so interesting that we tie smaller as less than when it comes to HBCUs. So you think about just a general conversation, you know, uh, Yale's private and small, okay? You don't ever hear anyone question their, their privateness or their small nature. You don't hear folks talking about um, um, some of uh, Smith College, one of the top liberal arts institutions in the country, small private uh, out of there. You know, you have, and that's why I can go on Wheaton, all of these elite private institutions that are predominantly white. And so I think it's, um, it's once again, every institution has its niche. We have over 3,500 colleges and universities in the United States of America. And that's what's made our education system so good for, uh, for so long where people across the world wanted to come to the United States to be educated because you have a choice of being able to choose what is the best fit for you. So we're small because we want to, not because we have to. We believe in what has allowed us to be ranked in the top 10 amongst HBCUs for 10 consecutive years, what it's allowed us to currently be ranked right now um, in the top 10 amongst all regional institutions and to be the only HBCU ranked in that number. And that's some of the top regional institutions in the South. 
And so when we think about those type of rankings, it doesn't happen without having quality graduation rates, quality retention rates, quality student satisfaction, and overall uh, quality student experiences. So when I think about that, it happens. Our small, close-knit environment allows us to do that. We're strategic. We don't want to be a large institution. And so we want students who know their professors personally. Our classes are not taught by graduate assistants. We can go to some large schools and it's a graduate assistant. You're identified by a student ID number. Our students are known by their faculty. They know cell phone numbers. My students know my cell phone number. We're able to connect. And what it shows is the success that happens. And so these students go on to get in. Our mean GPA of our freshman class coming in is a 3.65. You know, our students and our students have choices. So if you look at the FAFSA and see uh, whose platform goes up again, so a student may be recruited to uh, Yale, Princeton, University of South Carolina, Clemson, and they choose Clapton. And so because of they just know the quality of education they get in a small, close-knit environment. So that allows us to leverage that. And so we never worry about, you know, small or not small. We are we are strategic about what makes our institution not just uh, survive, but thrive. And so we don't want to have, we sell, you come to your class, you have 13 to one faculty member. So it's not like it's 60 people in a classroom. You know that faculty member intimately. That person has a PhD, an earned PhD, and one of the best institutions in the nation, but they're committed to teaching you. And, and I'll say our HBCUs in general, right? We go back and say the conversations of why and why not, um, the question, again, I think about ROI, you know, not just Claflin, but I'll say our HBCUs in general. HBCUs educate, and I'm a stats guy, I'm a sociologist, so I love numbers. And so um, the great philosopher by the name of Jay-Z, Young Hove, once said, men lie, women lie, but numbers don't, right? And so sharing the numbers and looking at the success rate, because here's what I ask folks to do, extrapolate African-American students at some of your most prestigious predominantly white institutions, let's just use state school, right? And compare them to Claflin's African-American population and see who comes out on the top of the matrix, right? Are they graduating them at a higher rate? Are they more gainfully employed? And what is their success rate with those students? And so, for example, HBCUs educate 50% of the teachers in the United States of America, 40% of the healthcare professionals, 70% of African-American dentists and physicians earn their degrees from HBCUs. And 58% of the students at HBCU study abroad. So the question is, is not if I should attend an HBCU or why should I attend an HBCU? The question you need to ask yourself, if I'm African-American, why not? With those type of success numbers, why not attend an HBCU? You're absolutely right. I mean, I think that that's, that's kind of our mission around this whole series is to, is to let people know that you can go to an HBCU and accomplish great things uh, because, you know, depending on what zip code you're in, uh, it's not really told you that you can do that. You may be pointed towards a different university. But one of the things that we see from your resume and we see from either other, rather from other resumes of other HBCU presidents is that you did coursework at institutions like Harvard. And it just shows us that, you know, there can be a partnership. There doesn't have to be this tension between, you know, HBCU, Ivy League or anything like that. So our question um, is, you know, how can we establish better partnerships with Ivy League and PWIs, as well as the counterparts, HBCUs and PBIs to create those opportunities for students of all colors while still protecting that strong narrative that HBCUs are top institutions? Right. And I think, unfortunately, unfortunately, it happens more than folks know. Right. But um, negative news is sensationalized. Right. The, the partnerships and all of those things, they don't sell stories. I remember I was at an institution prior to coming here and we pitched 
to the local media station about an amazing partnership, a three plus two program we had just created with a um, uh, one of the top schools in that state. Then we created a three plus three with one of the top law schools of another school in the state where students did three years at this institution and then finished their uh, fourth year, started law school and finished in six years, eliminating year of debt. The journalist said to me, that's not impressive. We don't care about things like that. Right. So it's those are the things that allow uh, those narratives not to be told, you know, but they will say, oh, you went to this HBCU and this situation happened on campus and they want to sell that story and that that narrative. And so part of it, our HBCU have partnered with, I'll just use Claflin, for example, we're a liberal arts institution. We don't our, we, we're, we don't have a doctorate program. We don't have professional programs such as medical school, law school. And that's not our niche. Right. We have an undergraduate focus, but we have partnerships with some of the best graduate schools uh, in, in the country. Let's use Clemson University. They have one of the best mass comm programs in the nation. You know, they're known for producing mass comm. We signed a three plus three with them just probably two months ago where our students do three years with us undergraduate. Their fourth year, they start their master's program, fully paid for. In five years, they got their bachelor's and master's in, in mass comm, a dual degree from Claflin and Clemson University. Exact same thing with the pharmacy school. So we have numerous partnerships with Ivy Leagues and our students go on to do that. We have students at PhD for Rye. Um, our Miss Claflin last year is at Georgetown right now working on her graduate degree. So our students go on every, those graduate schools at those top uh, tier schools come here and recruit our students because they know they leave here with the outstanding education experience and they know they're prepared to go on to be able to deal with the rigor that comes on at some of those other institutions. And so that has been a mission for a long time. Um, our students, you know, we there's not a divide like, oh, go to Claflin and don't go to a PWI. No, our students know all the time you come to Claflin, get your foundation, you transfer, to, uh, go there. Once you go to graduate school, you get your PhD, you go get your MD, go get your law degree, and you go on to be committed to be global visionary leaders. And that's sort of who we are. So I think the myth of the partnerships and things like that, there's, there's I can say with Claflin and many of the HBCUs, you know, we partner with a variety of other institutions to create mutual, mutually beneficial partnerships that our scholars can go on and be successful and do great things. Yeah. And, and that's part of, you know, why we, we decided to do this series is because we're trying to get to those stories because you just don't um, hear about them. You know, people always say they're just the, the HBCU story and what you all are doing is just not told enough. And, and we definitely know, in the, especially in the national media, there's just not an appetite, you know, for positive stories about you know, a lot of our schools. And so that's what we had to deal with in Mississippi was the things you heard about the HBCUs in Mississippi were not positive, really. They were about, you know, poor conditions at the campus, poor academics or something like that. But we obviously know, talking to you all, and we knew before, things are not like that. These are impressive institutions that are producing, like you say, global visionaries. And so um, that is what we wanted to hear. And I appreciate you also pointing out too, kind of the myth about, you know, being a small private HBCU, but that meaning somehow the education is not as rigorous and, and it's not going to be up to standard. Um, we, we had talked to, I think, uh, Dr. Larry Robinson down at FAMU, and he had to deal with that because he got his, I think his, his undergraduate at an HBCU and was going to go on a master and get a master's. And they told him, you know, well, you know, your classes there weren't as rigorous as what you're going to do here. But when he got to his master's program, he was outpacing, you know, all of the other students. And so, it is a myth, but people believe it because that's what we always hear, you know, in, in, in the news and what we're reading and in our media, that's what we're digesting, which is that HBCUs just aren't up to par. And that's not true. And so this series is right. proof. Because <laughs> I go back to the, even the question again, I know where the data doesn't lie, yeah. right? Yeah. 40%, 40% 
of African-Americans in Congress, in Congress right now, are HBCU graduates. 12% of black CEOs in this country, 12.5% actually, are African-American that are from HBCUs. You can't tell me a better ROI than that, right? (laughs) If I even go to 80% of the judges in the United States, of black judges, United States of America, 80% are graduates of HBCUs, 50% of lawyers, 50% of professors at uh, at non-HBCUs. So I, I think, again, you know, there's, the, the data is there for folks who want to read it. But, you know, and so the, the opportunity to say, you know, um, that they're not good, that there's nothing. And so when I, that's why I always ask that question. Tell me how they're not good, right? Explain to, no one can tell you that, right? Oh, they have bad facilities or they don't. Tell me about the quality of education and tell me where students are faring better anywhere else. When you think about a collective group, um, to be able to do that and folks can't do that. I think that's part of, you know, and our, our HBCUs, we haven't told our stories well enough either, right? It's it's a both, it's not an either or, it's a both and. We have to continue to tell the story about the outstanding work that is happening at our institutions. No, you're you're right. And I mean, it, and it definitely goes to the fact that, you know, we in the community, you know, we have to, you know, build each other up and not tear each other down because you, you have like, you know, when you talk about bad buildings or you talk about, you know, how some HBCUs may be located in predominantly black communities where it may be higher crime because, like I said, you get that if you live in Mississippi and there's Jackson State. But we have to really work to kind of transform the, narr- the narrative to what it's supposed to be, which is high quality excellence, you know, visionary. So we really appreciate you, you know, bringing an aspect to it. So uh, we'll wrap up the second segment here and uh, we'll come back into our third segment. So viewers, enjoy the break and we'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to our scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, viewers, let's get back into it. This is our third segment here. Remember, we're joined today by Dr. Dwan Warmack, president of Claflin University. Uh, so, Dr. Warmack, um, this third segment, we've been kind of talking about funding and diversity among some other topics. And, and, and one of the things that we know is historically HBCUs kind of fill the educational gap for African-Americans who were denied access to white schools. That's kind of the premise of why they were started. But fast forward and looking at today, um, HBCUs fortunately don't have to serve that purpose because students can go to any school they want to. But when you look at generations who've been miseducated on the importance of the African-American community, it seems that HBCUs could maybe serve a different purpose or maybe add that to their purposes and maybe correct this. And we know most HBCUs generally have enrollments of 80, maybe 85 percent above of African-Americans. So our question with that in mind, um, should HBCUs make more of an effort to recruit other races outside of African-Americans to ensure the true narrative of our people are told correctly? Or maybe what role do you see HBCUs in maybe playing to aid in cultural competencies among other races? Right. Um, <clears throat> HBCUs, I, I use this analogy all the time, when um, other institutions in this country catch a cold. HBCUs catch COVID-19. Um, and that's because of historic underfunding, under-resourced, 
And so and then again, after the whole historic long term underfunded, under-resourced, going back to one of the first HBCUs, Cheney University in 1837, and thinking about that, um, but then you put the expectation of the HBCUs to have to educate a, another population because of the myths that they're taught in the K-12 system and things like that. It's not fair. It's, 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 they don't, uh, and that's not the responsibility, I don't think, of, of our HBCUs. Here's what I say all the time. How don't, why don't we hold other institutions accountable for teaching real history, right? Mm-hmm. And so the question is, you know, our HBCUs, um, part, of, part of what happens here is this as well. Clapham University is roughly about 74, 73 to 74% um, African-American, right? And so if you begin to look at that, so that means about 26% other. Tell me, is Mississippi State 25% diverse? Tell me as you know, well, tell me if Ole Miss is 25% diverse. Tell me if Clemson has 20% minorities at their institution. Tell me if USC has 25%. They're not held to that standard, right? But we do that with excellence and the individuals that come to our school graduate as well. So we are still educating a diverse student population. Diversity has been at the core of what we do. And HBCUs have never been exclusive. We've been inclusive our entire time. Just other institutions were exclusive. That's why we couldn't attend. And so what we were able to do to do that. And you think about some of the folks, and I, I don't think it, it was a choice. It was not about choice because institutions were great. So you can't think of, I shared all of the great data and statistics with you. But then you go on to ask about, you know, some of the outstanding graduates from uh, Taraji Henson, right? Uh, Martin Luther King, W.E. Du Bois, Oprah Winfrey, you know, um, Tony Morrison, you know, you, you, you name it. These folks are top, top of common. Pam Oliver. You know, I can just go on and on and on about these outstanding individuals who are pillars in the African-American community who attended HBCUs, right? Now you see the first African-American and woman vice president of the United States of America, HBCU graduate, you know? So this is not new. It just, America is just waking up, you know? And so the thing is, if you're sleeping, it's easy to miss. But if you're now just paying attention to the outstanding transformational work that has happened for a very long time, these institutions have been great, you know, and continue to do great things. So I think it's, um, yeah, our HBCUs have a, a civic and a moral responsibility to continue to educate. But it's also to create a space because we're not, um, HBCUs are not monolithic by no stretch. The diversity amongst the student population at our institutions, even amongst the minority students, right? So in rural South Carolina, a student from rural South Carolina is completely different from an urban student from Jackson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And it's totally different from a kid from Chicago or Washington, D.C. or California. And so creating a culture about no matter how you come in, it's how you leave out and being able to nurture that as well. So I think part of it is really reimagining. I did 11 years at PWIs. Reimagine a curriculum that is there to ensure that students are being taught um, well um, there. Or if you think about what is happening in the K-12 through school system, if I'm not mistaken, um, and I don't want to misquote, but I think it may have been um, Utah, if I'm not mistaken, where they've decided to take Black History Month. You can opt out yes. of Black History Month at the school in K through 12, right? So, but you want to be able to opt out K through 12, but HBCUs to fix it once they didn't get the history. Makes no sense, right? Hold folks accountable to do the work that is needed because Black History is just not month of February. It's all the time because black, black folks have had a rich history of building this country. And how do we make our curriculums more inclusive? It's not a black or white thing. It's a we thing. And teaching the true history of our institutions. 
You're you're absolutely right. And Devin, I don't mean to cut you off. I was just going to follow up and say, I, I'm glad that you, you took the initiative with that to, you know, call out the responsibility on, you know, where it starts. Because, you know, truthfully with that question, yeah, that was really to point out the fact that, you know, within, you know, you know, parents and households, K through 12 education, there's a lot of different touch points that people can be properly educated on, you know, what the African-American community has done for the American, you know, uh, society and, you know, the human race as a whole. So it's, I'm glad that you just point that out. I just wanted to say that, Devin, just before you go to the next point. <laughs> no, and you're absolutely right. Both of you are, are, are spot on as far as diagnosing the, the problem, you know, which is K through 12, really. And so we know um, just, you all, you know, as a private university, you kind of mentioned it, the chronic underfunding that a lot of HBCUs have to deal with. And um, I'm sure, you know, Clay, uh, Claflin, as a private, you know, smaller HBCU, I'm sure funding has been an issue at some point. Um, and fundraising is is the name of the game. So we just wanted to kind of get an insight into, you know, what, how are things as far as Claflin and the fundraising and funding and and how have you been able to overcome any challenges as far as that and continue to be able to provide a high you know, a, a good education to your students. And, you know, because of the pandemic and maybe because of the, the protests last year, have you been able to find new ways of actually engaging with donors and being able to raise more funds? We can always use more funds, right? You know, so anybody that's listening or watching, please be willing, uh, if you're willing and able, go to www.claflin.edu and we're taking donations today. And so um, help invest in a future amazing scholar, visionary scholar. Um, yeah, fundraising, I think at any private institution, uh, it's that's the name of the game, right? You know, uh, you students that are there, you know, state appropriations, but we've been fortunate. We've been very fortunate pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. Our matrix uh, continue to be, folks want to invest in fertile ground. And, our, you know, we continue to have very high retention rates, very high student satisfaction rates, but an awesome alumni base, right? But we don't tell those yeah. stories. You asked the question, and I would ask that, you all go do a study and find out what is the national average of alumni giving. That's a good indicator about the student experience at that institution. So if I, if I attended um, Southern Mississippi, right. And, and because I had a great experience, I'm going to invest back and give back when I graduate because that school has helped shape me. Well, the national average is extremely low in alumni giving, but Claflin hovers over 30% each year in alumni giving. So that 30 percent, 30 to 40 percent of our alums each year give back to this institution. And it's because of their experience. Right. We created experience that they leave here committed to give back to the institution that gave them an opportunity. So we, we believe in fundraising from a corporate philanthropy perspective. We believe in it from a local um, uh, sort of a, uh, a local municipality perspective, a state corporation perspective and also to alumni and friends. And so we go after all of those entities and tell the Claflin story to get investment. So we've been fine through the pandemic. Claflin, as other institutions, has had a um, decrease in enrollment. PWIs is as well, mostly. Um, we, we saw a 9.3% increase in our freshman population. So I'm tired of what's happening in the world around George Floyd and other things of that magnitude that's, that America had a chance to see. Um, again, like, this, is not, this is not new, but it just was captured during the middle of a, of a pandemic where folks were 
actually a place to be zoomed in to see it. And so we are we have continued to tell the outstanding work and, and investing in a place like Lapland, you're investing into fertile ground. Again, you know, you you are making a mistake. We're the first Zoom campus, you know, first campus to partner with Zoom Corporation. And so part of that, it makes sense. We're going to help them produce the future engineers. Our computer science program is ABET accredited, which is you can't find a lot of institutions in the country that's ABET accredited, not just HBCUs, four-year PWIs. So we have a great product. And so our fundraising is intentional about helping corporations and companies get their diverse workforce that they need to be successful. And our graduates are able to go on to do that. Yeah. And that's that's what we ask, you know, kind of to see what your focus is, because we know, like you say, fundraising uh, is the name of the game. And so mm-hmm. it's been a tough year for other schools, but we're glad to at least hear that, that Claflin is doing at least OK. But like but like Dr. Warmack said, they could always use more funding. So please go uh, check them out and donate a little bit back. And too, you know, we, we heard from uh, the, the provost at Howard is that when you do go out and try to strike these partnerships with corporations and things, they do ask what percentage of your alumni actually donate back to the school? Because they want to know, you know, what the, you know, what's the, uh, the, the view of the education that the alumni has got from the school. So they want to know, you know, who's donating and how much are they donating and at what percentage that way before they give their money, they want to know this is a good institution that people are supporting. So, uh, just so I'll just take thing. a point of privilege again. We are <laughs> not, not bragging, but we have historically been the top alumni giving amongst HBCUs, probably also in the country, for at least 10 consecutive years. And wow. so, um, you know, it's that's not new. It's just something that's in our DNA and continue to do that. And you have any other institution that has, uh, you know, we have 30 to 40% variance that is there. And so we're right at 40% right now. And so you, you ask another school, what's their alumni given? And it just speaks volumes when we go to corporations. They know because our alumni are given back at that magnitude consistently, not a one-off. This is just what they believe. And so we're a great institution that's providing a great product. So it makes sense to partner with and invest in. No, that makes sense. Cause I, I think back to my, you know, going to Mississippi state and going to university of Memphis, both of them and thinking about, you know, the level of commitment to, you know, to me as a student, to students in general versus that level of commitment at an HBCU that you would get. And I see why people would give to an HBCU. I mean, it's, I, I see the, you know, listening to the conversations, I can really see that value and that connection that you made with your students so that when they graduate, it's not like, oh, I just graduated from, you know, University of Memphis or Mississippi State. It's like, oh, I graduated from Clayton or Howard. It's like, there's just a passion to it. So uh, that, that, that speaks volumes. So um, we'll go ahead and wrap up this third segment here. And when we come back, we're going to get our final message from Dr. Warmack. So viewers stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, viewers, let's go ahead and wrap up our episode today. Um, as always, we like to do a final message just to kind of wrap this episode up and send it off to you. Remember, today we're joined with Dr. Dwan Warmack, president of Claflin University. Uh, and Dr. Warmack, just to kind of set the stage for your final message, 
Um, after talking to our HBCU presidents, you know, one thing is clear. Um, if you're an African-American student, um, you're not going to get a more nurturing environment from another institution other than HBCU. Um, you know, every aspect of the HBCU is geared towards producing excellence within the African-American community. Yet, as you've thrown out the numbers, we see many African-Americans do not choose HBCUs. They go to other institutions. And with that being said, you know, there's no community that's supporting HBCUs other than just the alumni, other than just the donors. However, we've been really trying to paint a a message or paint a a picture that regardless of whether or not an HBCU is on your resume, you should be supporting them in some way because of all the important contributions HBCUs have done for the American society. So Dr. Warmack, as your final message, just leave us with something that explains why any and everybody should be concerned about the state and the future of HBCUs. Sounds good. Again, let me just thank you all for having me on here as well and providing HBCUs a platform to tell the story and tell about the outstanding work that is happening in our institutions. I think it's, uh, but I'll preference this just about minority students or any other student. I believe in education, right? I believe education is the equalizer. And so whether, but what I believe more about is institutional fit, going to an institution where you fit. And so HBCUs are not for everyone. Right. You know, and so it's OK if a person doesn't attend an HBCU and that's and they feel better at a different institution. My thing is getting an education. And the thing is, whether it's at whatever that institution is, we support and believe it. But we ask the same thing if a student chooses our institution to support that as well and help those students be successful. So I think it's again, you know, um, the question is not um, why an HBCU. The question is, why not an HBCU? Again, of Congress, again, for those folks who may have missed that part of the segment, um, received their degrees from HBCUs. 12.5% of CEOs in this country are HBCU graduates. 40% of of engineers, African-American, are HBCU graduates. If you continue to look at numbers, 50% of professors at non-HBCUs, 50% of the lawyers in this country are um, uh, African-American, are HBCU graduates, and 80% of judges. So the question you have to ask yourself, why not? An HBCU. If I know I wanted to be a judge and 80% of the judges that are currently judges not went to an HBCU, but I decide to go to a PWI and be one of the 20% versus the 80%, that's a, that's a, that's a higher probability risk by going to do that. And so the question is, understand the data, doing your research and figuring out why. So the bigger question is, why not? But I also say this as well. Um, I think it's, you know, how do we find a way to invest in quality products, right? If there's HBCU or whether it's a predominantly white institution, whether it's a uh, minority serving institution, tribal-based institution, doesn't matter. Quality education. And our communities need to support the institutions that are in our communities and ones that we believe in. And so um, I I believe that leadership um, matters. 18 to 22-year-olds are going through this cognitive developmental stage, exploring who they are and whose they are, and how do we nurture them to find themselves within that space. And so what makes Claflin University very specifically special is we take pride in that. You know, you come in one way, but you're going to leave a different way. And it's our responsibility to develop that student, to ensure that that student has that. So I think it's, uh, I, I say to any of the viewers that are listening, um, if your child is interested in attending an institution that wants to get a transformation experience, whether African-American or non-African-American, um, the most inclusive institutions with caring faculty and a nurturing environment, take them on a visit. One thing about me, I tell folks all the time, you will know when you step on a campus. 
that that's the place for you, whether it's a large research one, whether it's a regional institution, whether it's a small private liberal arts, HBCU, non-HBCU. Once you go visit, you will know like this is the place for me. There's this intangible feeling that I can't explain, but you will know if that place is for you. So we are clear. We, we do about 9,000, close to 10,000 applications each year, and we only bring in a class of 642, 650. We don't want a large class. We want students that fit the Claflin brand and fit the Claflin model. So we could say, hey, we got 9,000, 10,000 applications. We're going to step 3,000 and have a greater, larger student enrollment. That's not our mission. Our mission is finding that right niche of student that's going to be able to come in and be successful. And so we help students find whatever that is. It may not be Claflin, it may be somewhere else and helping that student find that. So I think it's imperative that our HBCUs and all of our institutions of higher education in this country continue to do outstanding work. There's folks outside this country who are putting focus and resources in higher education that want to compete against America. What makes America special is the diverse institutions that we have and be able to provide access and opportunities to students to have a choice wherever they want to go. And so wherever they decide to go is just continue to invest in those institutions that are fertile ground. So thank you. Yes, that's that's the message. I like that. That. I'm so yeah, I appreciate you leaving us with that. And that's why, um, you know, that that's why we did this series. Um, you know, we wanted to give people an, you know, an idea and a view into what's going not only what's going on at Claflin, but also just HBCUs at, at large, you know, and I appreciate you pointing out, you know, you're, you're small by choice. It's not so much that you can't get students to come to campus and apply. You no, know, you have plenty. You just choose to, you know, your mission and you're looking for the right fit and the right students, you know, to come on uh, onto your campuses. So just I appreciate you giving us that insight and look, you know, HBCU graduate or not, we need to support our HBCUs and help them tell the story. If you have a platform, YouTube channel, whatever it may be, make sure that you are, you know, promoting uh, our HBCUs, but also putting positive stories out there. I think one of the presidents we talked to said, you know, a lot of people like to run out and tell the bad story about what's going on at an HBCU, but they won't tell the accomplishments, the high marks, the achievements. Those things kind of get left behind because that's not what people, you know, and on the outside want to hear about, you know, and so we have to change that mindset in our community, but also the country at large and just that these institutions are great. They're high achieving for a reason. And they've been able to produce leader after leader for a reason. It didn't just happen by happenstance, you know, that way. And so really, really great to hear. And I appreciate that message. And uh, Adrian, you got any last thoughts? <laughs> um, other than, you know, HBCUs are great. And, you know, we're just hoping that people start to uh, accept that um, because what y'all are doing are fighting against a narrative in society about the African-American, you know, community and African-American race is that we're in, you know, the inferior race um, and that y'all are always having to fight against that. Plus all the other things are coming to it because unfortunately uh, American race, you know, just can't, you know, coincide. But um, we just are, are appreciative of the work that you all do at Claflin. I appreciate, you know, what you all do just in the HBCU community in general for our communities um, and we just hope that we can do something to amplify the work and bring you more attention and awareness. So thank you for being with us, Dr. Warmick. Well, thank you all for providing a platform for us to tell our story. And I think part of the responsibility as uh, HBCUs is our fault because we don't tell our story. We just put our head down and do the great work that is happening. And once again, if, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. And so part of that is sharing the numbers, sharing the data so folks can understand it. 
And outside of that, you know, when I say, oh, folks want to tell the negative stories, well, we have to create our own content and tell our own story. We don't have to wait for a mainstream media source to tell a story, especially in today's time. And so I think part of that with Clapham University, that's been our fault. No one has been ranked as long in the top 10. We were probably the most successful unknown institution in this country, right? People don't even know how to pronounce the name, right? It's one of those. And, and it's here's the thing. It's everywhere, right? But because we haven't told the story. We were okay. One of our slogans was, we're the best kept secret. Well, when they hired me, I'm like, oh, no, that best kept secret is no good. Right? The world <laughs> needs to know. And so you'll see our mantra is the world needs to know, right? You know, the great things that are happening. Because if, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. You know, and so I think part of it is going out to share some of those successes. And so when we meet with folks and creating the content that people want to hear and see, and we don't have to wait for other folks to do it. So I thank you too for um, allowing a space and a platform for us to tell a story. And again, I don't get defensive and say, oh, folks, so why HBC? Again, why not? You know, you find a choice of where you want to go, but I know what I'm producing, right? You know, and then if you don't decide to take a part in that, that's your choice, right? You know, you've made the choice that's best for you. But I know the product that's being produced here. So it's not an us versus them. You go where you feel comfortable. You go where you feel embraced and you know being supported. HBCs have a rich history of doing it, a proven success. And so um, if folks are interested in being part of that, you know, again, Claflin University, www.claflin.edu. If you're a student and if you're watching this today, um, I'm waiving application fee for you today. And so I'm waiving application fee, reference the Black Agenda show and in your application process, and I'll waive that application fee for Hey, there we go. There it is. We, that's what we need. And honestly, that's that's awesome because as we do our ads, we can see that you know the thirteen to seventeen year old category on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's the ones that are really tapping into this. So, like I said, we, we we're doing this to promote you all, and we hope that it definitely works. So we'll continue our partnership because as uh, as creators of Black media, we we understand our value to the community as well. So we appreciate that. But what we'll do, we're going to let Dr. Wormack go. Uh, remember, we've been talking to Dr. Dwan Wormack, the president of Clapham University. Uh, viewers, we're going to take one more break, and Devin and I, we're going to come back and wrap up our episode. So stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda Pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right. So welcome back. We always end the show with giving you some some news about our upcoming things that are going to be going to be going on with the podcast. So. Of course, you know, the month of March, we are recognizing HBCU Awareness Month, and we've, we are doing an HBCU Awareness Series. And so each week we'll be releasing a conversation with the leader at an, at an HBCU, like what you saw uh, tonight with Dr. Warmack. And so we're going to have more of this going on the entire month. We worked our whole schedule to make sure that we can release two episodes each week. And if you haven't already, please go back and listen to our previous conversations with uh, FAMU, uh, Howard University, Grambling University, or Grambling State University, and Tuskegee University. All of them are very, very, very good interviews. Um, and we'll have another one coming up this week uh, with Fisk University as well. And so definitely, actually, that one's already aired. So make sure you go back and listen to that one as well. They're all very, very good. And some really good information about institutions we don't normally hear about. So 
Uh, make sure you go back and check those out. And as always, uh, this upcoming Saturday, we'll be back uh, with our weekly roundup um, at 7.30 p.m. You can catch us on Facebook and YouTube, and we'll be bringing you breaking news from the past week, uh, things you know from our perspective, uh, stories in our community. So make sure you check us out, Facebook and YouTube, 7.30 on Saturdays. And uh, before we go, we always like to tell folks uh, this venture here at the Black Agenda Podcast, as great as it is and as great as it looks, uh, it does cost a little bit of money for us on the backside. But we also want to be able to grow this and be able to do things in our community. And we do need a little bit of your support. And so Adrian can tell us how you can help us out. <laughs> you know, whenever we said how great things look, I didn't know if you were trying to shout out my uh, red jacket. I got it. <laughs> that might have been a little dig. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, viewers, uh, your money is not going to my fashion. I already have this. Your money would actually be going to make sure this thing can come to you on Tuesdays and Saturdays and any other day we decide to do a show. But not only do we want to make sure we can provide you the news and talk to experts, we want to transform this into an organization where we can actually bring change in our communities. But we live in a capitalist society. Uh, we can have these fruitful ideas of providing things for our community. But we got to have money to do that. So that's what your dollars are going toward, going toward making sure this mission goes further than what we originally imagined. So all you got to do, go to our website, blackagendapie.com, click the donate button, start off with a dollar, a dollar a month. That's all we're asking for. If you want, go from, you know, go from there. That's five, 20. You make it even do a hundred dollars a month, but a dollars a month. That's all we're asking for. With doing that, it can help us to partner with maybe the third good Marshall College Fund which is the charity of the month for March. So we're wanting to highlight charities of the month every month. And like I said, this one we're going to be doing to coincide with our HBCU Awareness Series. Third Good Marshall College Fund tries to put a lot of people into HBCUs. Their mission is to ensure student success by promoting educational excellence and preparing the next generation of workforce talent through leadership development. So really, really great mission. Um, you give us money, we can give them money, and we can spread both missions even further. So, yeah, Devin, um, go to our website, give some money. There you go. That's it. <laughs> we just need a little bit. Um, and so um, I guess the, the next thing would be our charity of the month, uh, which would be the Thurgood Marshall College Fund. Oh, uh, I said I said that. You did? Oh, okay. I couldn't remember. <laughs> okay, we could cut it. <laughs> But yes, uh, this this venture here, we don't ask for much. We just need a little bit, like Adrian said, a dollar here, a dollar there. Um, you know, maybe skip on the Frappuccino this week or something uh, to help us out. So uh, before we go, uh, we always like to tell you where you can like, share, and follow us. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod, and that's at Black Agenda Pod. Um, make sure you follow us. Make sure you share us. Um, also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can find us just search the Black Agenda podcast and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on the great interviews like what you saw today. Um, so make sure you share that with your friends, family, coworkers. We're just trying to get this in front of as many people um, as we can. And also new is you can go to blackagendapod.com. That's our new website here. Uh, you can you can listen to and watch all of our episodes. You can see our weekly roundups. And like Adrian said, you can donate to us. We really, really appreciate that. And so. Uh, we just appreciate any support. We're trying to grow this thing here and um, we're only going to do it with your support. So we appreciate you staying with us and, and watching uh, tonight's interview and look forward to more things coming out uh, in the coming weeks. So until then, we'll catch you next time.